A classic ending to a not-so-classic game puts Patrick Mahomes on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks, a dynasty in the making, or is the dynasty set in stone? And another bitter loss for a 49ers franchise searching for their first Super Bowl win in three decades. I'll unpack every bit of what took place last night, including the commercials, halftime show, and an even big-time snub that the Hall of Fame voters missed as I'll put the lid on the NFL season. The NBA is about to head into its all-star break as I'll take a trip around the league to touch on the latest. Bring back the tough guy in the NHL as Maple Leafs' Morgan Riley is facing a suspension over the blatant act against Senators Ridley Gregg on Saturday night. Pitchers and catches this week? Is anyone excited? Well, I'm excited to deliver the latest edition with a special tweak as I'll get into all the above and then some. It's all coming up. But first, this message. JReels here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular. Just so we can increase the visibility of the JReels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel at JReels as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs, not only delving into the world of sports, but follow me on my journey to take the podcast and channel to new heights as I provide an in-depth behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce content on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. It goes without saying how much I truly appreciate all of your support. And without further ado, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. As we say goodbye to the NFL and get ready for what lies ahead... This is a podcast that I can do in my sleep as I'll dissect every bit of what's going on in the sports world as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back and I'm sure fans across the country and even the globe for that matter, all of their flags are at half mast because we'll have to wait 206 days between today and and the opening of the NFL season to have another ceremony, to have another flag to the, I guess you could say, rafters or somewhere in Arrowhead where the NFL season for 2024 will kick off on that first Thursday night, which should be September the 5th. So we have all of that time between what took place last night and the first game of the NFL season, which will be that Thursday And as we uncover everything that happened last night, I'll talk big picture before I get into all the minutiae of the game. And I'm going to start off by saying this. Was it a classic end of regulation and overtime, which actually ended in the final seconds of the 
first quarter of overtime because remember, it's a brand new game when you get into a playoff scenario with the overtime, which some of the Niners players didn't even know or understand, which was mind-boggling to say the least. And I'll get to that later on. But for the game itself, it was not a classic game. People want to call it great. I got into it with my father-in-law last night about it. He said, oh, it was a great game. It was not. You had all those three and outs there to start off the third quarter. It was 10-3 at the half. Mind you, it was a defensive game, which was great. We always see these video game pinball game type numbers where it's high scoring, all the yards, points, etc. But this is a game where you have to give it up. The defense was great on both sides. Although it got away a little late in the game, but that's fine. But as far as it being a great game or classic game, I beg to differ. So that's number one. As far as the game itself, threefold. Mahomes, he is on Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks and arguably could be the GOAT as of right this moment. And I'll obviously get into that a little bit later on. Number two, is this a dynasty in the making or is the dynasty already set? I don't think it's set. Three Super Bowls in five years, excellent achievement. Let me see them win next year to win three in a row. Because to me, in my eyes, a dynasty starts with three in a row. Yankees won three in a row in the late 90s into 2000 and they won four or five. No argument there. But three and five, I'm not going to call it that. If they do win next year to get that three in a row in four and six, no problem. That I'll give it to them. But as a right to second, uh-uh. Not this guy. And then the Niners falling this short and we can't blame anybody in particular yes I can nitpick about Shanahan especially his offensive game plan from the start of the third quarter really that whole third quarter but when we take a look at what the Niners did throughout the course of the game and yes they did have a couple of blunders there when it comes to special teams including the extra point which was enormous because who knows maybe Mahomes does punch it into the end zone there in regulation and they win the game at that point because remember all they had to do was play for a tie but between the blocked extra point and then the play that hit off the back of Daryl Luter Jr.'s leg, which could have been, I'm not going to say the biggest play of the game because I'll get into that in a second, but certainly turned the tide and definitely gave all the momentum to the Chiefs to be in the game because they were a slog on offense. Yes, they were moving the ball at times, but they were unable to get any type of rhythm pretty much up until that point. And then after that, that's when they took off. So those are the big themes that I look at with the Super Bowl last night. Classic ending, not a classic game. Good game, not a great game. Mahomes, he's already in the Hall of Fame if he retired today. That's all there is to it. Dynasty, not just yet. And as far as the Niners, and trust me, I will uncover all this now as we get into and roll up my sleeves to what took place there last night. And first off, the defenses were enormous, especially the Niners. They were every bit of what they weren't over the final few weeks of the regular season, even into the postseason where they got blitzed by Baltimore on Christmas night. I know the Ram game was a throwaway game considering that everybody was rested, but they did not play well in that game. And then we know about what happened against Green Bay and Detroit up until this game. And I had a feeling that they were going to start off pretty fast considering they've gotten off the slow starts in the first two games here in the postseason. And even though offensively, with the McCaffrey fumble on the opening drive, you kind of thought to yourself, oh, is that going to be a bad omen? Is that going to be a situation where they're going to look back on that? Obviously, when the first 
drive of the game, you can't look at that being the big picture grand scheme of things because so much will happen and so much has happened from that point on. But not to say that was a telltale sign, but that definitely would have been a possession where they would have gotten at least three and maybe even six considering how they were able to move the ball in the Chiefs there. But then, like I mentioned, the defenses were stout. Sad to see Drake Greenlaw. Boy, you talk about a freak accident. Him running onto the field where he blew out his Achilles. And that was strange just to see him there on the sideline or right near the sideline when the cameras showed him just laid out there before he got taken to the tent and then into the cart. And then you saw the replay, which was just a strange, bizarre set of circumstances. And Dre Greenlaw, who was one of the key members of that defense, certainly was missed. But again, next man up, they played fantastic the night of defense throughout. Now, of course, we could talk about the last couple of drives withstanding, but again, I'll get into that in a moment. But as far as the flow of the game, didn't really have much of a flow. The Niners certainly dominated in the first half. Brock Purdy had no jitters, no butterflies. He was unflappable there in that first half. And even though with the mistake by McCaffrey, and then they had the penalties on that second drive where they were starting to move the ball, and they were unable to muster anything, and the Chiefs, they couldn't do anything with the ball, barely move an inch. Yeah, they had a couple of big plays there. The one to Miko Hardman that set themselves up where Isaiah Pacheco fumbled the ball. And that was critical at that point because you figured that maybe if the Chiefs did get into the end zone or put up points, maybe they would have gotten into rhythm there. But as it was, they were still stuck in mud. And then you had the scenario where the trickeration play where Purdy gives it to Jawan Jennings and then he... Throws it across the field, which was a little bit of a dangerous pass. Not a lot of traffic there, but there was a bit of a jam, which it looked like everybody was trying to converge where McCaffrey caught the ball and then he was untouched as he just zoomed into the end zone to make it 10-0. And you thought to yourself at that point, now all the momentum's on the Niners' side. But as the game went into halftime, and even though with the Chiefs kicking the field goal there, I thought to myself, at 10-3, the Chiefs had the Niners right where they want them. Because for all their dominance in the first half and for them to pretty much have the momentum on their side, even with the late field goal there, the one thing I thought to myself was, if I'm a Niner fan, I'd be tight. Because I've seen this movie before. If you want to go back to Super Bowl 54, I've seen how this has played out against the Chiefs. And the Chiefs, as we know, they could be down three scores. It doesn't matter. Their comeback ability, we all know that they are a team that there's no lead that's insurmountable. And just knowing the Chiefs had the ball coming out of the halftime and for Mahomes, who was pressured there and was scrambling a lot, reminded me of Super Bowl 55 in Tampa when he was just running for his life. And you saw that there, the pressure from Nick Bosa, Chase Young in the first half, getting sacks and really doing a number on that Chief offensive line and even Mahomes to a certain extent. But what Mahomes... It's kind of like Freddy Krueger. He's the boogeyman. It doesn't matter. Even in the Super Bowl last year, remember when he got his ankle rolled on and he still fought through that? His toughness, his grit, etc. You knew that you'd have to knock him out of the game in order for the Niners to have a shot to win. But even with that first possession where it was intercepted, bad throw by Mahomes there, and I get he was just trying to make a play, but he threw it into double coverage, and that was just a bad decision, one of the very few rare bad ones by Mahomes in the game as it was picked off and it was deep in Chief territory, where was it, maybe about the Chief 45. But now here's the problem I have with Shanahan here. They're a team that loves to run the ball. 
And what does he do on first down? He passes. Then second down is a penalty, so it's second and 15. And now he's passing. Run the ball there with McCaffrey. Maybe you get five or six back. He was getting chunks at a clip. And even though I mentioned in the preview on Thursday where McCaffrey was going to be a focal point, and it's crazy to even call him an X-factor, but knowing that if they ran the ball with McCaffrey, even if he didn't rush for over 100 yards, but if he got his 70, 80, 90 yards with a few catches in the backfield, as we saw there with the touchdown, among other plays, that the Niners would be in good stead to win this game. But as it was, they pretty much scrapped in the whole third quarter the game plan because they only had two rushes in the third quarter combined where everything was purdy, purdy, purdy. And Purdy did get into a little bit of a lull despite the fact that he was great in the first half and overall in the game, he was enormous. Got to give him credit. And that's the one thing, Brock Purdy, I understand Mr. Irrelevant and we could talk about how we don't know how good he is in a big game. He's proved it here in this postseason. And I understand that we could talk about Dan Campbell screwing the pooch there in the championship game and then Jordan Love not doing well in that final stretch there in the divisional round. But give it up. Brock Purdy is here to stay. Is he elite? Is he top five? He is not. But he's a guy that he's going to be a mainstay in San Francisco and they better cash in in these next few years before he gets the big payday because for a seventh round pick, I'm sure he's getting paid what? The minimum? 700000 and I'm sure he's probably going to get an increase as we go along. But as far as the big money goes, they still have a couple of years. So they're going to have to try to cash in to get the Super Bowl while he is relatively cheap. And knowing that they could build their team with other players around that are going to be a lot more expensive. But I digress. As far as Shanahan, that third quarter, I thought did not play that well. As far as him trying to run the ball. They couldn't get anything going. There were a bunch of three and outs on both sides, which really just made the game stagnant. That's why it wasn't a classic game because it wasn't as if, not that you expect it to be a shootout and back and forth every single drive. I get that. But the third quarter and even the first half, as great as the defenses were on both sides, still, this doesn't automatically mean that this was a Super Bowl classic. And now at 10-6, even when the Chiefs get the other field goal to cut the lead, You had a scenario where the Chiefs had the punt and then the ball goes off of the leg of Daryl Luter Jr. And it was funny because when you're watching it live, you're saying to yourself, what the hell is Ray Ray McLeod doing trying to go after that ball? And as he did so, I'm thinking he's going to be the GOAT and it's going to be one of the all-time blunders in Super Bowl history. But because it went off the leg of Luter Jr. And I get it that McLeod just tried to Pounce on the ball, did a terrible job in doing so because at that point, it's not a matter of trying to pick up the ball and get as many yards as you possibly can. It's just fall on it. So that was a bad job on his part, but the Chiefs were able to get possession and on the next play, Mahomes to MVS, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, the go-ahead score at 16, or excuse me, was it, at that time it was 13-10. And then the Niners answer. Following drive, they start running the ball. They start making some big plays. And then the next thing you know, they get into the end zone there with Juwan Jennings, who had a stupendous game, throwing the ball for a touchdown, obviously catching a touchdown, had some big catches, third down, etc. And now the Niners get the lead 16-13. And Jake Moody, the rookie kicker from Michigan, who booted a 55-yard field goal, which was a Super Bowl record at the time. And then what happens? Later on, Harrison Butker, I believe, at 10-3, hit the 57-yarder to overmatch him and now hold the 
Super Bowl record for longest field goal in the game. But for Moody, who was attempting to make it a one-score game where the Chiefs needed to get a touchdown to take the lead, and what happens? It gets blocked. Big extra point there. Instead of it being 17-13, it's now 16-13. And then from that point on, that's where the team started to trade field goals where the Chiefs were able to get a score there to make it 16-16. And then the Chiefs and, excuse me, the Niners. And this is the biggest play of the game by far. And yes, we could pick uh, other plays in the overtime especially. But here's what it boils down to. At 19-19, two-minute warning, third and four. Ball was on the, I think it was the Chief, I have to go back and look. It was at the Chief, I think it was maybe 35-yard line. First down there, even with the Chiefs having two timeouts, first down, ices the game. Because then you're going to give it to McCaffrey a couple of times, and then you're going to take a knee, and then you're going to set it up to where Shanahan will call a timeout with three seconds left. Moody comes in, kicks the field goal. Niners win, game over. Spagnolo dials up a blitz. They pressure Brock Purdy. He has to force a throw, incomplete. Moody now sets himself up with a 53-yard field goal, which he makes. And Moody, I thought, was not going to have a bad game, but considering that the advantage, especially when it comes to the kicking game and special teams, belongs to the Chiefs, as you saw at Harrison Butker hitting the long field goal and making clutch field goals throughout. But for Moody, other than the blocked extra point, which I understand is not all on him, even though I know in the broadcast there was a situation where it seemed to me that Romo stated that he may have been a little bit deliberate in getting to the ball. Well, be that as it may, Moody made his kicks other than the extra point and set them up for an opportunity for the Niners to win. But that third and four was enormous. And to me, the biggest play, because if they convert there, the game's over. And as it was with a minute 53 to go and two timeouts, Patrick Mahomes, plenty of time. That's an eternity. And what did we see there? We saw the beginning of the Mahomes magic, the legend that he already is, as they go on down the field. And mind you, as I mentioned earlier, if they would have kicked the extra point and that would have been 20 to 16, would you have doubted that Mahomes wouldn't have punched it into the end zone there on that final possession in regulation? You know damn well that he probably would have whether by legs or with his arm, he would have done whatever it takes to get that go-ahead score and would have won it in regulation. But as it was, they had the scenario where they kicked the field goal, Butker, not with time expiring, there's still three seconds left on the clock, but all of that set themselves up to where they now go into overtime, and here's where I was just puzzled beyond belief. Bill Vinovich, the referee, he came out and went over the rules. He says, this is like a new game. I heard it from my living room, and I'm sure the players, I get it. There's a lot going on. They're probably listening to coaches. They're not focused on midfield where you saw Fred Warner, Warner, excuse me, and Patrick Mahomes there getting ready to see who's going to win the coin toss. And for Vinovich to come out in detail that you have three timeouts. It's like a new game. All booth reviews go upstairs. And on top of that, the overtime rules are if the team scores a touchdown, the other team does have an opportunity to possess the ball to see if they could tie. Field goal, we all know that the Chiefs are going to get the ball no matter what, but even if it's a field goal where we've seen, even in the regular season, 
the other team's going to get the ball. Unless it's a defensive touchdown or a safety at that point, that's when the game is over. So both teams are going to get the ball. How is it that Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, and Eric Armstead, the defensive lineman, how do they not know the rules? And not only that, but the coaching staff didn't even get in their ear to say, well, hey guys, play it straight up. It's like a new game. So even if we score here, we're going to have to defend as long as we stop the Chiefs or even if they kick a field goal, the game goes on. How do they not know that? These guys are in the NFL. These guys should automatically, and I don't want to hear, well, these guys are only there to play. They're not there to know the rules. Nonsense. To me, I found that preposterous. Hearing that in the postgame, and I don't know, you want to fault that on Shanahan to a certain extent, or maybe even the defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, to tell his guys, hey, this is a brand new game. Play it straight up. Let's go. So that I didn't get. I, I was just flabbergasted when I read about that. So then now you get into the overtime. And then you have the opening drive where they were able to move the ball. The Niners, they had that one play where, I think this was early on in the game. Yeah, that was on the extra point there. I was thinking about the gutsy call by Shanahan, fourth and three, where they got it to Kittle in the flat. And Kittle was not a factor in this game, as we know. But uh, that was early on. But as far as the overtime is concerned, Shanahan, with all of the passing, I believe the first play, he started out of the gate with a pass. And them not running the ball, but then they were able to do so. And then they got the big break there. It looked like the Niners were going to get stopped on a third and 13 where Trent McDuffie got called for a hold, which I get it. That's something that they probably would have called in any game, whether it was in October, November, and here in the Super Bowl, where for the most part, the referees did swallow the whistle. But that was one that, again, you had to call. So McDuffie held, they extended the drive. And then the also the play by Juszczyk where he made that diving catch where they didn't even go upstairs to take a look at it. And it was a catch. I believe maybe what they did was whomever was upstairs in the replay booth, they probably looked at it and waved it off to say, uh-uh, don't even bother. That was a catch. And it did look like a catch. But one more time in overtime, all of the reviews uh, will go to the booth. And it was a scenario where they just shunned it. They said, uh-uh, just keep playing. And as it was, another big play in this juncture that third and four where the Niners are trying to see if they could get to pay dirt. Chris Jones right up the middle gets pressure on Purdy, has to throw it away and that's where Moody kicks the field goal to make it 22-19 and it sets the stage for Mahomes here. And then now, let's get right to it. You had the fourth and one there deep in Chief territory where they had to go for it and what a play call by Andy Reid where it looked like it was going to be an inside handoff to Pacheco going left and then With everybody and all the momentum going in that direction, Mahomes scooted right where he got, I guess it was what, maybe 12 yards or so to set himself there with the first down. And then the other big play of the game, they had a second and 14 where the first play was blew up. Then I believe the pass to Marcus Valdez-Scantling, which was on both of those plays, the first down where he didn't go out of bounds or he didn't even dive forward. In fact, all of his momentum went backwards where you saw the chagrin of Chris Jones on the sideline. What are you doing? And then Valdez-Scantling caught the other ball, I believe, to make it third and six. And then here's all you need to know about Patrick Mahomes. Third and six, you knew that the Niners were going to come right after him. Jailbreak, blitz, all out. Cover zero, and what happens? He finds Rasheed Rice with just a beautiful touch throw on a third and six. Gets the first down there. 
And then later on another third, I believe it was what, third and one, he gets the other big run, which sets themselves up in field goal range. I mean, they were already in field goal range when you look at Butker from the third and six on Rasheed Rice. But then he gets another first down with his legs. And then it sets up the pass to Kelsey in a traffic jam there. First and goal at the three-yard line, I think it was. And as time starts to expire in the first quarter of overtime, Mahomes finds McCall Hardman, who gets the touchdown. And as we all know, McCall Hardman, who was a guy who was on the Super Bowl team the first go-around, and even though was not much of a factor other than the big catch there, which set themselves up for the first field goal, or really that wasn't even a field goal because that was the Pacheco fumble. And then you have McCall Hardman, who was a Jet at the beginning of the year, came midseason, just trying to blend in with the guys, and he gets the game-winning touchdown. Confetti rising from the heavens or from the rafters of the Allegiant Stadium. Taylor Swift jumping up and down. Patrick Mahomes, Mount Rushmore, the GOAT. We'll get into that in a second. 25-22, and even though it went to overtime, and I understand a bunch of field goals, but I predicted my final score was Kansas City 29, San Francisco 22. So I was four points off in that regard. But that's it. That's your Super Bowl. And now let's really get into and roll up the sleeves even more as far as some of the things that I mentioned when it comes to the big picture. Patrick Mahomes, what more can you say? And I'm going to say this. This is going to be a bold statement, and I'm sure I'm going to feel it from the people up north in the New England area as they're going to start breathing down on me after I make this statement. But if I had a game for my life, right this second, forget about resume, because we understand seven Super Bowls, ten Super Bowl appearances, even though Mahomes is on his way. Let's face it. But for one game, for my life, who do I want under center? Patrick Mahomes, I'm taking him over Brady. You want to know why? That last drive. You think Tom Brady, as great as he was on those fourth and one or fourth and inches sneaks where he just dove into the pile and it seemed like he converted 99.99999 of 100 of those. And I get that. But is this man going to sacrifice his body as much as of a gamer as Tom Brady was? Is he going to do the things with his legs that Patrick Mahomes does, especially on that final drive that you saw, where he was going to be damned and not be denied of him getting a first down or him going all out to win that Super Bowl? And we know how great of a quarterback he is. There's no reason for me to even expound on that. But if you're going to ask me, one game, who am I taking? It's Mahomes. And that also begs the question whether or not he's the GOAT. Right now, if he said, you know what, guys, I'm going to retire, go off into the sunset, he's going to get fitted for the gold jacket the second he says that. And he can be fitted right this second, right now. No ifs, ands, buts, babies about it. Six conference championships in a row, four Super Bowls, three Super Bowl wins, and three Super Bowl MVPs. That's it. He's in a pantheon of very few in the league. Bradshaw, Brady, Mahomes, Aikman 1-3-2, Montana's 1-3 as well. Those are the guys, that's it. So he went from the guys who won two, whether your name is Jim Plunkett, whether your name is Ben Roethlisberger, whether your name is Eli Manning, guys that won two Super Bowls, uh uh-uh. He's now catapulted over that and into that stratosphere for those aforementioned guys. And as far as Mount Rushmore, that is it. It's Brady, 
Montana, Unitas, Mahomes. Case closed. He's probably top three right now because Unitas, I get it. It's a long time ago, but he was the inventor of the forward pass. And understand, Otto Graham is another one. Go back to the 50s, 10 straight championship games with the Browns. It's part of NFL history. We got to put him in there. But you know what? Mahomes, especially with what he's done now, and he's only 28 years old with still probably minimum 10 more years to go, barring injury. So you mean to tell me he's not going to end up with five, maybe six when it's all said and done? So I get it. There's going to be a faction of people who are going to want Brady under center for that game for their lives. I'm picking Mahomes. And one more time, that final drive in the Super Bowl, 58 last night, is indicative of that. Tom Brady can only dream of being able to run for first downs the way Patrick Mahomes does. And that's why, to me, he's better. So that's number one. As far as the dynasty goes, it's not. I said it before, I'm going to say it one last time. Dynasty, to me, is three in a row. Or if you're going to win three out of four, all right, fine. Four out of five, four out of six, what the Steelers did in the 70s, sure, no problem. But when we take a look at three of the last five, and yes, I understand they played in four of those Super Bowls, let me see them win next year to go three in a row, which hasn't been done in NFL history. Think about that. The Dolphins had an opportunity to do that. Obviously, the Steelers had two chances to do that. There have been multiple teams, Cowboys, Patriots, you name it. But now they have a shot to be an immortal team. With this coach and quarterback, as I talked about last week, now they are in their own stratosphere. With Belichick Brady, Noel Bradshaw. Quarterback-coach combo with at least three Super Bowl victories. And you also have to throw in Bill Walsh, Joe Montana. My apologies to the Niner fans who I know they're probably saying, well, Jay Reels, what about them? Considering they have nothing to really... uh, uh, they got to be sick to their stomachs. I know I would. And I'll say this. I'm far from a Niner fan. I was rooting for the Chiefs all along. But boy, I know that the Heineken, whatever you ate last night, pizza, wings, sliders, they did not go down well at around 11 o'clock last night. And this is one that I'm sure is going to stick to the ribs even more. And I'm sure you're praying that if you get to a Super Bowl, whether it be next year or the year after, you don't want to see... Red and gold at all. You don't even want to see number 15. You want to see another team. Yeah, I'm sure you've had enough. But to me, Dynasty, not just yet. I get it. A lot of other people are going to say so, think so, whatever. Not me. And then lastly, with the 49ers. I don't know how many more gut punches you could take. I think about what the Niner fan in the last... Forget about 30 years. I won't go that far back. But just think about the last five years here where you lost an NFC Championship game to the Rams where Jaquiski Tart, the defensive back, had it in his hands and just dropped. That was it. Which they would have won the game. And I don't remember what the score was at the time. It may have been 14-10, 49ers, and that was the same drive where the Rams, I think, punched it in the end zone and won 17-14. But had it in his hands. And San Francisco, when they go to L.A., it's almost as if it's Niner Nation South. But they were unable to win the game. Last year, you give them a pass because Brock Purdy with the elbow. But even that was just tough to swallow because I'm sure that if Purdy was healthy, you probably would have had a good shot to win, although the Eagle defense was a far cry better than what we saw here this year. Then you had the Super Bowl 
against the Chiefs the first go-around. We had a 20-10 lead. You intercepted Mahomes in the fourth quarter with about 10 minutes to go. And with seven and change left on a third and 15, we're unable to stop Tyreek Hill. And then it was all downhill from there for the Niners. And then last night, and Kyle Shanahan also has the specter of 28-3 as an offensive coordinator with the Atlanta Falcons on top of all that. But we can't fault Shanahan. Yes, I can nitpick about that third quarter, 100%. But the defense played fantastic, and they were gassed. Both defenses were gassed, as we saw. I can't put all the blame on what took place in the overtime. Mahomes' magic just... Led the attack. I mean, what can you say about Patrick Mahomes that hasn't already been said? And yes, we understand the Niner defense is one of the top ranked in the sport. And as the game wore on, you just knew that it wasn't going to be curtains, but it was going to be a lot to ask for. Considering that with 153 to go in regulation, he came down to tie the game. And then even after them not scoring the touchdown there in overtime, you just knew that Mahomes was not going to settle for anything more than six. Or anything less than six. You get my point. And Shanahan, he's got that piano on his back. And I understand there isn't any fault of his in this go-around or Jimmy Garoppolo overthrowing Emmanuel Sanders for what would have been a game-winning touchdown in Super Bowl 54 or Jaquiski Tart or last year in Philadelphia in an NFC Championship game. I get it. But the guy, for whatever the reason, I don't want to say he's snake bit, but... You got to have to burn some sage in that locker room or their practice facility or maybe even Levi Stadium because he cannot get over the hump. And we could call him a top coach in the sport. Absolutely. But you got to win one. And maybe his time is next year. Who knows? But hopefully he doesn't have to look across the other sideline to see number 15 in next year will probably be white and red and gold as opposed to red, gold, and white. Unbelievable. There isn't anything more to be said about what the Chiefs, Mahomes, and what they've done here during this run. And then the Niners, again, just another bitter pill to swallow here if you're a Niner fan who's now lost three straight Super Bowls where they started off winning five in a row. So I just had to throw that in there just for grins and giggles. Now, let's get to some of the other stuff here. As far as Tony Romo... I thought he did well up until he got to the latter part of the game. And Romo, I know that he's an easy target. I know that he says a lot of outlandish things, etc. But here's a couple of things that I jotted down. Where the Chiefs were moving the ball. And I think at one play, it was was before he said they should spike the ball on second and seven, which was ridiculous. It was maybe about 30-something seconds to go. And that was when... Mahomes threw the ball away. And I understand that it was moot because he probably could have spiked the ball there. But that was just asinine for him to say. But prior to that, when they converted, I believe it was a third and one. And it may have been converted to... Off the top of my head, it may have been Justin Watson or Noah Gray. One of those two, it was out there in the flat. I believe it was a third and three where he came out and said, do you go for it or do you kick a 60-yard field goal? Now... Butker is fantastic and you've heard all the numbers by Butker he's clutch he makes long field goals doesn't matter from how how far but I'm sorry you got Mahomes as your quarterback 
And let's say if that was incomplete, fourth and three, you're going for that. There's no way you're kicking a field goal there. You got Superman under center. So I thought Romo was just out of line with that. And then talking about spiking the ball, you're wasting it down there. And I get it that Mahomes ended up throwing it away. All right, fine. But you're not going to waste it down there, spiking the ball. He's got timeouts. And then he had to retract a comment there when he said that you have two cracks at the end zone. There's a regulation with nine seconds to go. Two cracks? There's no way. You would have to have such a quick play and as it was, they tacked on an extra second because remember, it was nine seconds to go and they tacked on that extra second to make it 10 seconds where maybe they could have gotten two plays off and the first play was incomplete. They tried that fade to Travis Kelsey which worked in the Baltimore game where they got their first touchdown but it didn't work this go around and there was six seconds left. So smart for Andy Reid to kick it there. You do not want to even think about having a situation where Mahomes has to scramble and Now the clock is your enemy and even if he throws it away the ball could be in the air for five seconds or four seconds and the next thing you know time expires the game's over. He had to kick a field goal there but for Romo to say that I understand he reversed and backtracked and said oh no you have at least one play and then kick the field goal but that's what happens with Romo. He gets so caught up and wrapped up in the game that he doesn't stop to think that uh uh-uh. He has one good shot here so let's say Mahomes does scramble and let's say he looks at the clock and it's four seconds left. He'll just throw it away or whatever. And then that's it. You'll have one second. Bring in Butker. Kick the extra point. And then how many times did he reference that both of the defenses were tired? Tony, we're watching the game. I understand you're going to bring it up once or twice for each team. But for him to constantly bring it up over and over. We're watching the same game you are. Seriously? So I get it. I'm nitpicking there because overall he did have a good game. But the final couple of minutes and overtime... He crapped the bed. And the rating, I can't even imagine what the rating is going to be. I haven't checked it because sometimes they don't have the final numbers. I don't know if they're going to combine that with streaming, with Paramount Plus, etc. But that, especially the ending, and I'm sure that's where it peaked, but we know that everybody was watching this game from the Swifties, etc. And she got there super early, I might add, which I'm sure was no surprise considering she probably flew private, whether it's her her own jet or even the record company, their label's jet. But for the scenario regarding the rating, they had to get minimum, I would think off the top of my head, 115, maybe even 120 million people. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's more than that, which is going to make it the highest watched TV show ever in the history of the idiot box. Or if you watch it on your laptop or phone, whatever. Who knows? But the rating is going to be astronomical. And let's get to the halftime. Now, Usher, I thought he performed well. I'm not an Usher guy myself. I know there was a moment there, even the wife came out, where I get it. You only have 12 minutes. You're not going to play every single song. There's going to be medleys, etc. But it sounded like he was going to start off with nice and slow. And then after the opening line of the... That particular song, he went into another song and then that just came a mishmash, which, yeah, it kind of confused me. And I even mentioned, wait a minute, I know one of his songs that I kind of like, the DJ has us uh, falling in love again or DJ has us falling in love, whatever it is. And I said, what happened to that song? He said, oh no, they played it, but it was in that just slop of that medley during that time of Nice and Slow among other songs. So, And I know the unveiling of the shirt with the ripped muscles and all that. All right, give it up. I'm not going to hate on Usher. Whatever we saw, what happened there a few years ago with Adam Levine. And I know that caused an uproar. But 
To me, that wasn't an issue. I didn't have a problem with that. But for him running around, dancing, etc., costume changes, roller skating, it was entertaining. I'll give it up. He was good. I'll even say he was very good. But he was not great. Because we all know the heavyweight belt still for another year goes to Prince, 2007 Super Bowl 41. In the rain, Miami, Hard Rock Stadium, whatever that stadium is called now. Well, it's Hard Rock Stadium now, but back then it was like 16 different names. So that was your halftime. Of course, you knew you were going to see Little John and Ludacris. I was surprised to see Alicia Keys. That was a good moment. Not one of my favorites, but still. And overall, I thought it was very good. Not great. And then the commercials. How I look at it is, when you watch the commercials of yesteryear, and not to say, again, different time, different era, I get it. But when you see your first Bud Light commercial halfway through the third quarter, and then you wait to the fourth quarter to get the Clydesdales with Budweiser, either Budweiser's running out of money, or they figure that, uh-uh, I'm not spending $7 million or whatever it is just to broadcast a 30 or 60-second spot over the air, even if it is the Super Bowl. This Timu or whatever this was, boy, I guess they had money to burn because they certainly just swallowed all the commercials there when it comes to the broadcast last night. And you had the one Doritos commercial, which was, eh. You had no Pepsi, no Coke. Maybe there was a Pepsi. You had Starry there with, I think it was Ice Spice. I know you had a Cardi B commercial. I even forgot what she did. Maybe that was a, uh, no, that was a Knicks commercial. NYX makeup. The best commercial of the night was the Dunkin' commercial with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Tom Brady, J-Lo, Fat Joe. That was the best commercial of the night. Other than that, the Timu commercials, all that, you can spare me with that. Even the NFL commercial I wasn't in love with, and I get it, that's what they're trying to expand and the global brand and going to Africa, which I thought was great. I had no problem with that. But the thing is, is that the NFL, I understand they want to try to be Keeping up with the Joneses with the NBA and Major League Baseball and going to Africa. No problem with that. But this is where they're pigs. This is where they are doing that. But for the sake of the brand, the shield, and just printing more money. And for me, if you didn't see my vlog, Seven Reasons Why I'm Down in the NFL, watch it. YouTube channel, at Reels. So, commercials, you could have spared me with that. I could care less. I did like the Duncan commercial, but other than that, that is your Super Bowl 58 in a big, giant, enormous, if you want to say sphere, just with the theme of Vegas. I may get called out on that, but you get what I'm saying. Again, good game, classic ending, not a classic game whatsoever. Now for the Hall of Fame. Let me get to this because all I got to say, I'm a small room guy and the players that they put in the Hall of Fame, I have no problem with. Julius Peppers, dominant pass rusher. I think he's fourth all-time in sacks. Not a problem. Dwight Freeney, another guy with that spin move. Colts teams, later with the Falcons. He's a little bit more borderline, but you know what? For his time, he was dominant. I'll give it to him. You had a lot of defensive players and that was the theme here when you look at the Hall of Fame. So whether it was Peppers, whether it was Freeney, you also have Patrick Willis, the linebacker there who made, I believe, five All-Pros, short career, got injured, but he was a dominant linebacker of his time. So you know what? I'll even give that to him as well. Not a problem. 
Then you had Devin Hester, who, as we all know, greatest kickoff and punt returner ever. Does that automatically mean he should be in the Hall of Fame? I don't know if this was his first ballot. If it is, maybe let him wait a couple of years because he wasn't a good wide receiver. He wasn't a good defensive back, which was his trade coming into the NFL. And for the others from the senior committee, where the name is Steve McMichael, to me, not a Hall of Famer, but I get it, 85 Bears, they want to tie that into, and I understand he's going through a rough time with his health. I don't know if that was something they wanted to do and give to him now. All right, fine. Randy Gratishar was a fine linebacker in those Bronco teams, or on those Bronco teams, going way back, 70s and into the 80s. Good player, not a great player. And with he and Tom Jackson, Dennis Smith, I get it that maybe he was the face of that defense. Going back to the Orange Crush. All right, but even still, I'm a small room guy. But how is Antonio Gates, the former tight end of the San Diego slash LA Chargers, how he wasn't enshrined or how he did not get any of the votes is beyond me. This guy's arguably the third greatest tight end in the history of the sport behind Tony Gonzalez, And I'll say Rob Gronkowski. I know you have Kellen Winslow. And Winslow's the guys we saw with the Chargers revolutionize the position. As a guy who was more of a wide receiver than he was a tight end. Although he was was a Hall of Fame tight end. No ifs, ands, buts, babies about it. But I don't want to hear how Gates, who has 116 touchdowns. Who I believe that's second all time for tight ends. And has 2,500 more yards than Gronk and I believe maybe 15 more touchdowns. I think Gronk just eclipsed 100, maybe he's at 101, 102, but he has more touchdowns than Gronk. And you know Gronk is going into the Hall of Fame roller skates. How Antonio Gates' his name wasn't called is beyond me. What are these guys watching? And I understand it's not as if he had a plethora of 1,000-yard seasons. I believe off the top of my head, he only had two, and I'm pulling this up now. He only had two... 1,000-yard seasons. He's had three All-Pros and first team and two second-team All-Pros. So five all together. We understand the first team is going to count more. But he did rack up 11,841 yards, was 45 45 catches short of 1,000. And for the tight end position, again, it's not wide receiver where these guys catch 100 balls in his sleep. Or 100 touchdowns, whatever. He has 116 touchdowns. That's going to count for something. And the guy was dominant. Big games. I understand the Chargers didn't have a lot of big games. They had some big playoff games. And not that he delivered all the time. But to me, that guy's a Hall of Famer. I've watched him play. He was a power forward playing tight end. He's like Tony Gonzalez. So for me, to him get to get snubbed, that was out of line. And... They had all the defensive players go in, even with the senior committee. Think about it. They had, what, five defensive players going to the Hall of Fame, including Hester, if you want to count him as a more of a two-way player. I get it, but still. I don't know what they were watching, but to me, and I'm sure Gates will probably get in next year. There'll be a groundswell because it, you also had Andre Johnson. I can't shortchange him. Andre Johnson, he's a lock Hall of Famer too, first ballot. Kudos to him. And that's, just the one offensive player that the Hall of Fame voted in. But that's what you have. Just sad to see. And not that I'm a Charger fan or 
breaking out the pom-poms for Antonio Gates but to me that guy's a Hall of Famer and how he didn't get in this go around I'm just shocked that's all there is to it alright let me turn my attention to a couple other things before I bid adieu and I don't really have much here to unpack when we take a look at the grand scheme of things as we now get to pivot with the beginning of the Sports Dead Zone Part 1 that's right Sports Dead Zone is about to be in effect here and who knows if we're going to have much to talk about on Thursday's podcast, any fallout from this game, etc. But the NBA, they're going to have the All-Star break this week, so you're going to have a smattering of games. I'm sure you're going to have a bunch of games Wednesday night, and you're going to have the two TNT games on Thursday. As a matter of fact, let's see what the schedule looks like before I dig into that. I know we had the Celtics win in Miami yesterday. No Jimmy Butler because of a death in the family. And you had a couple of injuries there with Terry Rozier and Josh Richardson going out. So that was a scenario where they were playing shorthanded, but the Celtics were able to win in Miami and they swept the Heat this year three games to love so if the Celtics and Heat meet up again for a third straight year in the conference final not that this is going to mean anything but at least you have a scenario where the Celtics psychologically will have an upper hand if they do get to face off in the postseason whether that means in a conference final or even before that depending on where the Heat fall in the standings so you have that to look for as far as the schedule this week You got games tonight, tomorrow. Cleveland, they're going to look for 10 in a row tonight against Philadelphia, and we know that they're undermanned without Joel Embiid. You have the Celtics going to Brooklyn tomorrow. Miami at Milwaukee, which those two teams, speaking of playoffs last year, the 1-8 matchup, not sexy at all. Come Wednesday, actually Boston and Brooklyn have a home-and-home for geeked up about that Chicago at Cleveland so let's see if they could go into the all-star break with an 11 game streak and not any games of note as we get closer to the all-star break and I'll get into more of a second half because as we all know these teams are well past the halfway point of the NBA season and come Thursday I'll go through more standings I'll get into where we lie as we head into the all-star break and then have a second half recap or second half preview of what to expect as we get deeper into the season obviously the trade deadline came and went I didn't really get into some of the trades from the other day I know that the Knicks got a big trade there by bringing in Bogdanovich which adds some more scoring we know that Julius Randle is out with that shoulder we know OG and Unobi with the elbow so you bring in some reinforcements there with a scorer you had Patrick Beverly go from Philly to Milwaukee so maybe Whatever that could ignite the Buck team, which has been flailing here a little bit, even with Doc Rivers coming into the fray after Adrian Griffin being jettisoned out of Milwaukee. So Beverly, can he inject and infuse some life into that team as a guy who's going to be antagonistic? He's going to get under the opposing team's skin. Who knows what that will mean for Boston-Milwaukee when we get to the playoffs or maybe another matchup in the regular season. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. But other than that, with trades, weren't really a lot to sink your teeth into. I know the Lakers, because of a buyout, who did they just recently bring in? I knew he had a couple of players. Even Kyle Lowry goes back to Philadelphia. That was another player who got bought out. Remember, he got traded there a couple of days ago. That was the Terry Rozier. He got shipped to Charlotte, and then they got rid of him so he could become a free agent. So Lowry goes back home to Philadelphia. Of course, he played his college ball with Villanova but when we look at another 
acquisition here. The Lakers, who did they pick up here just recently? And it got them off the scrap heap, but they need as many reinforcements as possible. As we know, the Lakers, who are trying to get their footing, they did lose to the Nuggets there on Thursday, and you saw LeBron there at the Super Bowl, of course, last night. But the Lakers, I'm losing it here. I don't know who they got recently, but it wasn't anybody of note to go crazy about. I know Dennis Schrader also got traded, but that's what you have there with the NBA as far as the latest and greatest there. On the ice, as I lace up my skates, you had a scenario there the other night in Ottawa where the Senators were holding on to a one-goal lead, I believe it was 4-3, as the extra skater came on for the Maple Leafs, and then with about 13 seconds to go, you had a breakaway open net to where Ridley Gregg, within two feet of the goal, takes a slap shot into an empty net, to the chagrin of Morgan Riley, who decided to cross-check Ridley Gregg and is going to face a suspension. He's probably going to get at least, you would think, five games, maybe more, who knows. But here's the problem I have with that. This is where we need to bring back the tough guy in the NHL. And I don't want to hear it from anybody, especially from the 35-year-old and younger, for them to come out and say, Jay Reels, you don't know what you're talking about. You're off your rocker. You're an old man. Stop it with the get-off-my-lawn take on this. Why is Morgan Riley going over there and cross-checking Ridley Gregg in the head? If anything, you want to go up, you want to drop your gloves and maybe just wrestle him or do whatever? All right, fine. I understand you're not going to take a cheap shot, and I get if you drop your gloves to a guy who's not going to fight Ridley Gregg. I would have known him if he fell on me, and I know that his next fight is probably going to be his first fight. But for Riley to just cross-check him in the head, I mean, what is that? This is where you take the slap shot, And if you had a tough guy, I get he's not going to be out in the ice with a six on five advantage. But that's a scenario where you're going to come out maybe in the next shift. And I get it. That's where game misconduct because of the stupid rules. But if you had a tough guy out there that I'm sure maybe Ottawa and Toronto are going to play again. Next time he's on the ice, he's getting leveled by the tough guy. And then if you want to start an all out riot, fine. And people are going to say, well, that's where it's bad about the sport. It's going to be given a black eye, so on and so forth. The NHL needs as much pub as possible and I understand if a guy's going to take a cheap shot if he's going to take a sucker punch if he's going to do that uncalled for the sport doesn't need that that I agree with you but if the Maple Leafs of yesteryear whether your name was John Cordick post Montreal Canadian days whether your name is Wendell Clark let's talk about him you think Wendell Clark would have tolerated that absolutely not he would have went over to Ridley Gregg and said if you don't drop your gloves here now, son, you're going to get a fistful of skin. But of course, in this day and age, the NHL's not like that. The NHL is about cross-checking people, swinging your sticks, acting barbaric in that way, which to me is a lot uglier than two people dropping the gloves and duking it out, whether Morgan Riley, and I couldn't even tell you he's a tough guy, I think he's far from it if you ask me, because obviously he went and cross-checked the guy in the head. I mean, seriously? This is what the NHL wants? If you bring back one resident tough guy for each team, I'm not trying to say you have to have and how much I would love if you had two and three resident tough guys on each team, but no, just have the one guy and not to make him a goon or anything like that, but you want to police the ice for nonsense like that, that'll be the last time Ridley Gregg ever does something like that because you know that the resident tough guy on the other team is going to have to, he's going to have to own up to that and face that guy at some point. So yeah, I just, uh, I was disgusted by it. 
just to see the cross checks and just the stick play. Ah, it's just that the sport doesn't need. What they need is the tough guy. Then you had Alex Ovechkin who scored a goal there last night and he had the empty netter for what this is worth. He now has the all-time record for most empty net goals eclipsing Wayne Gretzky. I believe he had 57, now he has 58 and he scored a goal there last night against the Canucks who continue to play well and now is, I believe, 59 away from tying Wayne Gretzky all-time on the goal-scoring list. So the Capitals are going nowhere fast. He's the only story in town when it comes to the Capitals, unless they're going to have a late rush here, which I don't know if I would expect, but we'll get to see. Nathan McKinnon is going to be out maybe for some time. They lost 4 nothing, where he went headfirst into the ice, I believe, or maybe it was into the boards. Let me double-check that. McKinnon, as we all know, a guy, one of the top players, maybe even a lot of people think he could be the MVP of the league this year. As I'm looking at this as we speak, where McKinnon... Doing a little play-by-play. Yeah, he fell. That didn't really look that bad, if you ask me. But McKinnon, who knows how long he could be out as a guy who, and this was against the Panthers, I might add, if I'm taking this, if I'm looking at this correct. So for McKinnon, any loss to him, remember he missed a lot of games last year and Colorado trying to defend their cup. But McKinnon, oh yeah, now that was pretty bad. Yeah, he felt more chest first. And I don't know if that was a situation where maybe he'll be in the concussion protocol. But uh, in fast speed, it didn't really look that bad. But seeing the slow-mo and how he fell, who knows? He may be missing some time here. And that will be a huge loss for the Avalanche as they're trying to battle it out with Winnipeg and Dallas for the Central out in the Western Conference. And then you also had that incident there with Mikhail Sergachev of the Lightning who suffered the broken leg against the Rangers. And that was the day before the podcast on Thursday. But... Ugly incident where his leg twisted, broken. Obviously, they're not going to detail the extent, but it looks like he's probably going to be done for the year with that leg injury. So for Sergachev, hopefully he'll get back on the mend as the Lightning in the Metropolitan, or excuse me, in the Atlantic Division. They're trying to find their way with the likes of Toronto as well as the Panthers. We know the Bruins are in first place and they've been playing well. That is your NHL. Let me see. Is there anything else to discuss here with the National Hockey League? As of note, I know that, yes, you want to talk about Marc-Andre Fleury. We talked about that. Beat the Penguins there last week, his former team. We know his second all-time wins as far as goaltenders go. But that's what you have there with the NHL. And then to wrap it up, college basketball, I'll get into more of that there on Thursday. But to wrap up with the baseball, pitchers and catchers are now... Three days away. Is anybody geeked up? Is anybody excited? Is anybody pumped up, ready for pitchers and catchers? I can't say I am. I know that hope springs eternal and then we can start to look ahead and get ready for spring training. Nobody cares about the exhibition games, but just the progression, how the pitchers and catchers, how they're going to go along. We know that Shohei Otani came out and said that he's going to feel like a rookie all over again as he reports to Dodger camp this week, if he isn't already there out in Arizona. All right, a little bit strong for him to say that. Kind of thumbs his nose at the Angel fan in the organization, knowing that he's going right up the freeway for Dodgerland, and they have all the expectations in the world. For them, it's World Series sweep or bust. It's not even World Series win or bust when you talk about the Dodgers, but you have that. And listen, when the... 
pitchers and catchers start to report and you start seeing the highlights of them warming up or long tossing, etc. Yeah, you'll start to get that feel. But when you really get into March and when the exhibition games begin, not that they matter as we all know, but once you start seeing those highlights, you'll get a better feel. More so in the month of March and we understand exhibition starts there in the latter part of this month. So who knows? For the diehard baseball fan, even like yours truly, yeah, maybe at that time I'll be pumped up, but we're still a ways to go, at least six weeks before the start of the baseball season, so we have that. But then also, Corey Kluber, the two-time Cy Young Award winner, also threw a no-hitter as a Yankee, retired, 37 years of age. Congratulations on a great career. He was 116 and 77, so by any means, he's not going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm sure he'll probably go into the Indian slash Guardians Hall of Honor or Ring of Honor, whatever you want to call it as he won both of those Cy Youngs as a member of the Cleveland franchise. So for Kluber, 37 years of age, calling it quits. Congratulations to him. And do I even need to get into this thing with Billy Epler with the Mets? Really? Do I? How he suspended for a year because he had injuries, or I don't want to say injury reports like the NFL, but fabricating injuries to where you have players coming up and down, And because of that, he's going to be suspended until, I believe, the end of the World Series this coming season. It's just typical Mets. I mean, what more can you say? Uh, Just when you read that and you hear, like, why are we faking injuries here? Why is it a scenario where as good as the team was in that one year with Buck, and that's when it happened in the 2022 year, and even though maybe it happened in 2023, I didn't delve into that, and I understand people say, well, Jay Reels, come on, you're not doing your job, you're not doing your research, but when I saw that, Epler, he's not even on the team anymore. He was gone once David Stearns came into the mix, and he actually, you could say whether they mutually parted ways, or he quit, resigned, whatever, but I'm sure he knew this was coming down the pike, so therefore, he was going to take his medicine, here it is, he's not in the organization anymore, so that's why I could care less, and when I saw it, I was just like, huh, typical Mets, but that was it. I mean, what more can I tell you? But yeah, does it cast another dark cloud on the organization? Maybe a small one, not a big one, but one more time, people, what can I tell you? Typical Mets. And I'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. Thank you so much for stopping by, carving out precious moments out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. Or if you're watching, get to watch it because I recorded this on video YouTube channel at J Reels moving forward podcast is going to be in living color on top of you listening to it, Apple, Spotify, all the platforms, you know the deal. So please, if you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, subscribe, rate, review, go to my channel, subscribe, like, comment. I would greatly appreciate it. This is my full-time job, people. That's right. I'm pushing all my chips in the middle of the table. I am now podcast producer, host, content creator, yours truly. So let's get it, people. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, the sports fan, the casual, the diehard in your life, that it's time to tune in to what yours truly has to say, not just once a week, twice a week, every Monday and Thursday, whether through your headphones, earbuds, or speakers, or even more so, watching it on TV, through YouTube, or maybe on your phone, tablet, etc. You know the deal. I would sincerely appreciate it, so please subscribe, rate, review. You can follow me on any of my social media accounts. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels podcast, which I haven't really paid much attention to, but I will moving forward. Twitter, X, J Reels, one, just the number. 
Well, the old-fashioned way with a question, comment, suggestion, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. I've been talking sports since I've come out of the womb. Ask my mom. Ask my wife. Ask any of my friends, family, peeps. This is it. I will continue to put forth nothing but fire, passion, energy, fury with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. And shout out to my puppy Kismet, who's laying right next to me. I know you can't see her right now. But all of these podcasts that I've been able to do here in my home studio, if you want to call it that, no barking, no pausing. There's been times in the past you've done so, but with my first foray going into the video component of this, she has not said a peep. So for that, Kismet, thank you. From the South Bronx, South Beach, South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>